Bob McCown, John Shatton on the program for uh, today, as we usually are. Uh, we have a lot of favorites, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of people on this program that we, we like, we've known for a long time. We enjoy the conversations with regular them. visitors, regular visitors. I'm not sure anybody tops our guest today. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux, Gabby to his friends, has been around the game for 50 years. Uh, and, um, was, is, he's one of the best coaches historically. If you look at his record, great numbers, Bob, he has great numbers. The only thing he hasn't done is won the Stanley cup. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so without further ado, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, Bruce Boudreaux back after these messages, McCown and Shannon uh, back with you and, uh, Bruce Boudreaux, uh, joins us. Uh, we were chatting before uh, the show began and Gabby was bitching and complaining about all the work he's got. <laughs> it, How we turn that around so fast. Well, <laughs> well, the, the key thing. Uh, Bruce, two and a half make... hour drive here. I got to go. Then I got to go get lunch. Then I got to go see my kid. Then I got to do the laundry, uh, you know, all that nonsense. But I, just said, I, I said it lovingly. Just doesn't pay like an NHL coach, Bruce. No, it certainly doesn't. So anytime anybody wants to give me an NHL job, I would gladly quit the other three. Well, let's get to that. You talk to anybody? Uh, no, no. no. I, do I watch uh, everything that's going on and read all the news clips? Absolutely. Um, do I try to stay busy? Yeah. So, but uh, uh, I definitely know what's going on in the NHL with all the teams, but uh, no one's called. Um, are we in a situation, in your opinion, where there are, you know, are there teams that you have an eye on right now that, I mean, obviously there are some disappointments out there, Vancouver, Montreal, among them, you know, Arizona's expectations were low, but um, do you pay special attention? Yeah, I think I do. I mean, just in case, you know, I mean, if it ever happened, it's, I think it's important to watch uh, Vancouver right now and, because uh, if anybody ever started talking to you, you'd have to have a little bit of an idea uh, right. of what's going on and what you think is is missing and s stuff. I mean, um, I watch Montreal, but I don't think they would go uh, to anybody that didn't know how to speak French. So, I mean, uh, I really find that as a Toronto boy uh, uh, would be something that wouldn't happen. But uh, there's other teams that sometimes, you know, I mean, they go into spells. I thought... Last week, for example, that if Dallas had lost a few more in a row, that they would be crying like crazy, but they seem to have turned it around. Um, and and every week somebody's different. Like, I mean, mm. I followed Chicago quite extensively there for a while, um, but uh, obviously that situation's rectified itself. So, I mean, I mean, I hate guys losing their job, but I certainly would like to have one. So, the the, the interesting thing, Bruce, is is you you've been on the other side where you've seen your team, you know, um, point downwards. How do you, how do you deal with your players when things are not going well? Uh, I mean, well, how do you communicate with them? I mean, there's a lot of individual meetings. I remember um, when I was in Anaheim, we had uh, the year before we had went to the conference championship and uh, uh, we lost out in seven to Chicago, but we started the next season one, seven and two. And uh, we got shut out, I think, in those first 10 games, six times. And I mean, um, which is definitely not a, usually what happens to a team that I'm coaching. But uh, we had a lot of individual meetings, a lot of one-on-ones were all about being staying positive. And I'd be showing them analytic stuff of, that were close. You know, I mean, uh, even six years ago, it wasn't called analytics. It was just called statistics. Um, but I mean, we would show like, I mean, we're right there and to stay the course. And eventually we turned it around and <clears throat> ended up uh, winning the division. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, th those are the things you have to do. You have to stay positive. I mean, it's like you, when you're winning a lot of games, you can really bring the hammer down to make sure they don't get too high. But when you're losing, you have to, you know, give them the pats on the backs and, and look at all the positive points, I think, that the, that take place and, and to get them out of that. So the reality is you're actually nicer when you're losing than you are when you're not. A hundred percent. You know, I mean, uh, uh, when you're, when you're winning, you're trying everything to do to, uh, 
they're they're getting a little cocky and they think they're they're better than they are. So you've got to knock them down a peg and tell them that listen, we haven't won anything yet. I mean, this is the way we have to do it. But when you're losing, if you keep pounding on the the negative um, uh, message, then I mean, it's already they're they're slumping down and they would be completely in the dumpster uh, if you did that. You're more inclined to have individual meetings with players when the team is not playing well? Um, yes. I mean, yes. I mean, uh, no, I, sorry. That, that was an instance where, um, you know, Bob Murray was traveling with us all the time. So you're waiting for us, the, the shoe to drop. But I mean, uh, I have a lot, just as many uh, um, meetings when you're going well uh, to try to keep them motivated to continue that, that if you know what I mean, like, I mean, uh, like I previously said, Bob, when you're going well, you know, you sort of tend to take practice off a little bit, you don't work as hard. Um, you, you know, things are going well, going so easy for you. And, and then eventually once it starts to go downhill, you, it's like a runaway train, you can't stop it. So, I mean, when, when a guy is going really well, I really, show that hey listen you're going good but here's your faults i mean we love what you're doing and we want you to continue what you're doing but you got to correct these things or it'll or it will go downhill in a while what kinds of things are you noticing about the game today um is it just my perception or are teams less less inclined to play offensive fire wagon hockey today than than they have been yeah, it's sort of frustrating, and I don't even want to call it fire wagon because then they they say you're not playing uh, defensively as well. But I mean, I mean the forecheck, if you've got the opportunity to forecheck, is is one thing. But if not, then everybody just drops back into the neutral zone, and uh, I don't like that kind of hockey. Uh, personally, I don't see why you can't be very good offensively and very good defensively at the same time. But I call it pressure defense, and in other words, get in their face but be supportive and, and don't get, uh, don't get outnumbered anywhere and, and don't allow odd man rushes. And if you do that, you're going to have just as much success, but I agree. Like, I mean, I'll sit there and watch and the team will jump, dump it in and they won't uh, say they go for a change. Then they all just sit in the neutral zone in the one, three, one and wait for the other team to come in and dump it in. And they won't forecheck because they're ready to go into a one, three, one, um, in the neutral zone. And, and so I think that becomes fairly boring hockey. How, how much? How much how, oh, sorry, what? John, go ahead. Well, no, uh, well finish, Bob. You, you had, you're I was going to say, can you coach against that? Can you um, come up with a strategy that beats the one, three, one, where a team is, is laying back and just waiting for you? Uh, I think you can, um, have in the past. I mean, uh, we've beaten the, the one, three ones and, uh, it's it, the biggest thing uh, when you have a one, three, one, and you have a goaltender that can handle the puck. I mean, we used to count all the time, how many goalie touches there were in a period. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to keep it down to three or less. If you could do that, then that means your, your dump ins are into the right areas or off the glass, or even like, I would tell them to, to, if you get the opportunity to just dump it hard, right at the goalie, because you can't control it low. If it's like a foot off the, off the, off the net on each side but the ones when you just throw it around the boards and they get it and they give it to the d and they come out those are those are the things that really abandons a forecheck and i really was a heavy forechecking guy and i had only one rule i i wanted the players to you know they a lot of it is now scoring off the rush and i'd say great i said but when the scoring off the rush or is when you turn pucks over at the blue line more than you get it behind the defense, then it becomes a problem. Then I have to deal with it, but you do what you want to do, but we want to make sure that the pucks get behind the defense. How much, how much of your philosophy changes with the personnel? Uh, and the, the reason, the reason I asked that is that, you know, you, you seem to have some level of structure, but, you know, that roster you had in Washington was much different than the one you had in Anaheim and different than you had in Minnesota. Well, you know what? And that's a great question, John. And I thought it would I would have to change everything because in we were lucky in Washington. We were big and, and fast in Anaheim. We were big and fast. You know, you take Perry Getzloff and uh, uh, Penner on the first line or Maroon. I mean, that's a big line, you know, and, but in Minnesota, there was just nothing but little Smurfs. And I started out 
thinking, um, okay, we're going to have to change everything because we don't have the, the dominating board game that we're going to have. But I found out that if you've got speed, you can pressure the defense and you don't have to kill them. But if you pressure the defense, they will make mistakes on their own. And so we continued that. And I think the first year we had 106 points and the second year we had 101 points. And I mean, so it worked, it worked in both, both situations. So, I mean, uh, the big thing when I say pressure is not giving anybody time and space to make a play because players will panic no matter. Uh, and I've, I've done it on video hundreds of times where you don't have to hit the guy hard when you dump it in, but if you just pressure him, he will make a mistake. How difficult is it? You know, you've, you've talked about eagerness to get back in. How difficult is it? Um, for instance, in the last couple of summers, how, how difficult has it been for you to get FaceTime with, with teams and owners? Oh, I, I haven't been able to get uh, anything, uh, any FaceTime. I mean, I would love before people make decisions. I mean, I did FaceTime. Uh, I had an interview with Buffalo. Um, I had an interview with Toronto. Those were the two teams. Um, Toronto was, was an assistant coach, right? Yes. And um, I, I thought both times, like, I mean, I was, I was talking pretty intelligently, but they, I think in both situations, they were looking for something else even before they talked to me. And because I got the feeling that they weren't interested in anything I had to say. And you can, you can see that like from a uh, visual, like I'm mm -hmm. looking at you, how the body language goes, how the questions uh, go. Like, I mean, one of the people that were interviewing me, he didn't lift his head up the whole time. Like, I mean, he just said, uh, he, like he had a list of questions and he wasn't looking at me in the eye, even if it was zoom, you got to sort of look at the guy in the eye and see what he's all about, see what kind of passion he talks with and intelligence at the same time, I would think. Well, I'm intrigued by that. Um, if you're in that situation and you sense that there is um, not a genuine level of interest, post facto, don't you sit down and say, all right, what, what is it that scares them off about Bruce Boudreau? Um, well, uh, have you thought about but, it? Well, I think in, in, in a couple of things in Toronto, I mean, um, the interview, I think uh, uh, one that uh, my past, as far as success, I think intimidated Sheldon a little bit. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, there was a lot of talk shows going, why would you hire him? You know, he's just there to, he'll take your job if you, uh, if you, if you screw up and because he's ready to go. And I, you know, I tried to, make him well aware that I'm the most loyal little puppy dog in the world. And that's the last thing I would want to do. Um, in Buffalo, a, it was different that I could just tell, like when he phoned me back, when um, uh, the GM Craig? phoned me Craig? Yeah, yeah. When he phoned me back, he said, you know what, we, we could have and should have brought you in for maybe a second and third interview, but we already knew what we were going to do. So I went, well, you know, and you can tell by the, the level of uh, passion that they ask questions and the kind of questions they have. Um, Cause in both of them, I kept saying, well, man, I was waiting for the in to, to go after this or to go after that. And they never brought it up. And I should have brought it a mistake by me was I should have brought it up. And cause I'm not really um, experienced in interviews, quite frankly. I mean, I interviewed for um, maybe five jobs in my life and I got them like in the same day. So it was like, it was pretty easy. I mean, but these were uh, where there was other, where they probably weren't looking for me. And uh, so they were more difficult and I probably didn't do as good a job on the interview as I would have liked to. The assistant coaches thing in Toronto, you know, I mean, I don't view you as an assistant coach. Me neither. I view, I view you as a head coach, but uh, is, uh, is Toronto different? Well, it was Toronto. That was the only thing. If it was anywhere else, I wouldn't even have considered it. And But the more I thought about it, the more I thought about being home and my mom's almost 90, you know, and uh, uh, it would be closer to, to family and friends that I thought it would be intriguing. And uh, uh, and also the fact that they had, uh, I, I, the perception of me was they had a really good team and that they could go somewhere 
And uh, the chance of winning a Stanley Cup, I think, is every hockey guy's dream. And it's one of the few things that I haven't uh, uh, haven't attained. So th that's that was the beauty of the whole thing. But everybody, like yourselves, um, said the same thing, that they didn't view me as an assistant and that I should wait and wait for a head coaching job. But, you know, if it was if it was, say, Arizona or something, I wouldn't even have thought about it. But um, because I was asked at one point about uh, not uh, like seven years ago uh, about being an assistant in Florida. And I just said, no, I'm not interested. Well, I'll tell you, I got to be honest with you, Gabby. You and I have known each other a lot of, a lot of years. I, I, if I was the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't want you as an assistant. <laughs> I, I wouldn't either. No, and I mean, you know, I, you know, I say that with full respect. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I, I kept wondering, why are they even asking me? Why are they even asking me? Because if I was a young head coach and Sheldon was a young head coach, why would I want Bruce Boudreaux to be my assistant? First of all, he's really popular with the media. He's popular in the city and he's got a pretty good track record. Why yeah. would I want that guy leaning over me and... Um, uh, you know, because if the first minute we go wrong, the Toronto media is going to jump all over that. So well, I, I can understand that. You're the sort of Damocles if you're the assistant coach, especially in a place mm -hmm. like Toronto, you know, yeah. like, you know, and it's exactly as you said, first sign of any trouble, the story is going to come up. Well, there's the heir apparent sitting right there or standing right there beside the, the now head coach. Yeah. And, it I think you would feel exactly the same way if you were, you know, head coach somewhere again. I, I agree. And, and I understood Sheldon's uh, position. That's why I told him, I said, you'd never have a worry about me. I mean, other, for me, trying to undermine you to take your job. Um, I, it's happened the other way to me. And I know what an assistant should be. And I would have done it. But, I mean, it would have been difficult, I'll be honest. And uh, I, I think he made the right choice not to hire me. You know, the, 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 we were talking about it yesterday on the show with uh, a couple of our, our, our partners, uh, Darren Pang and, and Brian Lawton, a guy you work with, mm -hmm. is the, the, be the, best thing, the best thing that's happening for a guy like you right now is Daryl Sutter's success. Yeah, no, I love it. And uh, I look at Daryl Sutter, Sutter doing well and experience and Lindy Ruff doing well. I mean, even... Um, Rick Bonus wasn't doing well, but it seems to fit the problem. And I think you can't beat experience when you have a pretty good team that is uh, should be better than they are. And uh, um, just because we don't move around the ice fast as fast as we used to, I still think we all got the intelligence and know what we're we're going to do. How do you deal? How do you deal with twenty-year-olds versus thirty-five-year-olds? Um, I, I just think it's. Uh, the 20-year-olds now, they want to know everything, uh, the whys. All, everything is about the whys. Okay, you're not playing as much, why? Uh, you're not, uh, um, I'm not on the power play. How come I'm not on the power play? And you have to show the video and everything else a lot more. With the older guys, to me, I mean, they understand. They've been through the league for a lot of years. And you sit down and you just talk to them from the heart. And I think they, they understand when you talk to them from the heart. I mean, they don't like it. When I put Miko Koivu as the fourth line center, he didn't like it. But I, I sat down and I said, Meek, you know, you've just come off two bad knee injuries. You're not as fast as you used to be. You're still going to be put in every situation that I need because I trust you for defensive faceoffs, for um, a, a last minute of play, uh, need you at the end of a period. So your minutes aren't going to go down to seven or eight. They're going to still stay at 14. And, and I did, I kept them at 14, but I mean, it's tough, but you got to look at them right in the eye and tell them why, because they've been, they've been uh, stars for so long. I want to talk about uh, the national hockey league in general, what you've observed and um, get your observations on that. Bruce Boudreau is uh, with us. We'll uh, continue after these messages. Bob McCowan, John Shannon, and uh, Gabby himself, Bruce Boudreau. With, hey, um, before we talk about go around the league, Bob, can I ask one more question about coaching? Of course. What gets your juices going behind the bench? Why do you, why do you still want to do it? It, it? I've been asked that a lot. And the, the simple thing is, is uh, and I'll go in a roundabout way, I love doing the TV work. Uh, I, I love talking hockey. A lot less stress. A lot less stress, but you're not in the battle. 
Like I want to be in the battle and I've been doing it my whole life, 50 years now. Uh, I mean, from junior up till now, every year it's been the battle with your group and you do stuff with your group. And so it's, I, I want, uh, I've always wanted the, the, like, I mean, okay, if you win, you get the glory. If you lose, you get the, the crap. But I mean, uh, I wanted that, that possibility. I mean, uh, um, and so that's what I miss is just being in the battle with my group. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the teams that we've mentioned, at least. Um, Vancouver is at the top of the list because I think to everybody who is an intelligent hockey observer, there is a genuine surprise at how poorly they have played. Are you surprised or did, could you possibly have seen this coming? I, I'm really surprised, quite frankly, um, because um, two years ago when they made that run in the playoffs, I thought they were a good team. And I talked to the Vancouver radio stations a lot, too. And and I, I had picked them last year in the bubble to be a top three team in the in the Canadian division. And they didn't do well. And then I thought they made a really, really good trade this year uh, when they got Connor Garland and OEL and they just and for three 30 plus uh, year old guys. I mean, they gave up a draft choice, a first rounder, but still, I mean, they, you know, they lost Beagle and they lost uh, uh, Louis Erickson and they lost Roussel. And I thought we're all at the end of their careers. So, I mean, I thought they were gonna be really good and they got Halak as a backup to um, Demko, who I thought, so their, their start was really surprising to me because I think they have a really good top six I think they've got a third line that can score and I didn't know their fourth line that well, but I think you can manufacture a good fourth line. So I'm surprised. So, so what do you do? It, you know, I'm, we're hypothesizing here. Um, what do you do if you go in there to try and turn that around when you think there is the potential for success? I mean, this isn't an obviously, I mean, let's be honest here. And I'm, I'm not trying to slag anybody. This is not Arizona. I mean, Arizona's expectations are zero. Mm -hmm. um, and you go in with that understanding that and you got to try media, and build something and it's going to take time. Arizona? Well, going, no, or Vancouver. Vancouver. <laughs> Vancouver. I think, I think in Arizona, they have one guy and he yeah. wears the hat that says press on it. So, <laughs> so you know who he is. Well, so what do you do if you go into Vancouver? How do you, how do you repair something that may not be broken. It, it's wounded and it's not doing anywhere near what you would think, but there's, there's skill there. There is skill there. And I want to make a point of that. We're asking this question. I have never had any contact with Vancouver. I'm, I'm hypothesizing like you are, but I mean, the only thing I, cause you sit there in bed and, or watching it and say, what would you do if you went in there? That's the, the natural. Of course question and i just look at the experience of when i went into washington for example they mm -hmm. were 614 and um two when i went in and mm -hmm. they were in dead last in the league and i remember the things that i did and uh, um now i had a benefit because i knew some of the players who they were um but the the message was the same and the message would be the same if if I was going to any other team that was losing because you're not going to go to a team that's winning unless um, a Florida situation happens and I don't want that to happen in, anymore in our league because I think it's you know first of all Joel's a great friend and I don't want that to have, I don't like it for our league but uh, that's I would just um, uh, hang my hat on how the approach was in Washington and in Anaheim because in Anaheim it took a little longer it took a 10 days mm -hmm. and uh, then we went and won 21 out of 23 um, and to get within like two points I think uh, of a playoff spot and we ended up not making it obviously but we won the division and the conference the next year uh, but I would use the same approach that I used back then because I don't think um, hockey's uh, changed uh, that much where you can't you know uh, uh, get on people's emotions when you went into Washington when you went into Anaheim even in Minnesota yeah Minnesota the, too yeah was the reaction what kind of reaction do you get from players are they cautious nervous intimidated 
um, maybe less so with Washington because that was your first gig, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, how, how do players react when a new coach comes in? Well, I think um, they're like us um, playing uh, a game of golf in the back nine. It's a fresh start. You know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, you could have a crappy front nine, but okay, here's the back nine. Let's, let's go. Because usually at the end, um, uh, they're uh, a coach. They're waiting for the shoe to drop on the coach. The players are. And uh, uh, by the way, I haven't seen that in Vancouver the last two days. I thought the two games they played extremely hard and could have won both of them. But that being said, um, the players, when they see a new guy come in, if they haven't gone well, they feel, okay, We've, we can make a new impression on this guy because everything starts off even. And um, uh, I, I think that's how they've seen it when uh, Derek King went in there. I mean, because at the end of Jeremy's um, uh, uh, tenure in Chicago, you could see the guys were just saying, oh, like, it's going to happen. Let's get this over with. And then soon as, as soon as they made the switch, um, Flurry started to become Flurry. Uh, Patrick Kane started to become Patrick Kane, and it was just a new, it was a new vibe in that room. And uh, I think that's what happens when, at, why at least initially the team gets a jump. You know, like I mean, they win three out of four, or four to five. When a new coach comes in, it's hard to keep it going, but uh, I think that's what happens. The interesting thing about Chicago, and, and I watched them the last couple of nights, the Vancouver game, and then uh, against Calgary. And even though they lost to Calgary, it's amazing they 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 appear Bruce so much faster. And I, I don't understand if you're if you're the old coach and you're the new coach and you're looking at video, you're saying how does a player change that quickly? How do you well, do it? It may be the style, maybe the system, but I agree with you. Chicago's always been, they always draft and go for speed. I mean, and this is, they're probably the first team that really went into that. And then, you know, in the 2010 season in that, the, the, they were fast as lightning and you wouldn't think, and they played fast too. Like yeah. if you look at the Florida team, they play so fast and Joel's got them playing fast, which means moving the puck, which means not a lot of dusting it off and, and going backwards and, and everything else. And I, I think they're, they're just playing a different little bit of style. And Derek King has said, Hey, Boys, go out there and play. Just play and play fast and use your skills. Because if you look at Chicago, they got a lot of skill up front. I mean, uh, when you talk Kane, and um, even though Taze hasn't done too much, uh, Debrinket, you've got uh, Kubishev, you've got uh, Kirby Doc. These guys can all play. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I mean, when they went almost to the 40 game mark last year, um in a 56 game season where they were still actively in the playoffs and i thought with the all these guys that they got this summer that they would be an awful lot better team and i'm sure stan bowman thought the same thing so co coaches overthink sometimes all the time i mean i mean all we do is watch video and and try to uh make things and and the analytic coaches are coming down and saying got to do this and this and uh, the one thing and this might kill me about getting another job but the simpler the better players uh we uh, wasn't a rocket scientist when i played but i mean players want to know their role and they want it simplified and if you can simplify it and give them a role they're happy as uh you know what and what and uh, uh and 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 they will do it but if you start sitting there and saying you know you got you, you only had seven exits out of your zone last night, or you, or, or you had two out of five entries uh, stopped. I mean, then they're starting to think all of, but what the hell's going on here? Like, I mean, what do I got to do? I get the puck. Am I, am I supposed to shoot it? Supposed to pass it? Supposed to dump it and simplify things. And you're going to get a lot further. Well, how, how much actually you, you bring up a really good question about analytics. Cause uh, I mean, analytics almost are an off day thing when you're behind a bench, uh, the game moves so fast. How do you how do you inject what you know analytically into a game plan? Well, hopefully you're seeing the game. I mean, people forget we still see the game. Uh, one of the things I used to do all the time was when I after the game, I would check the analytics with what my thoughts were during the game. And they were almost directly the same. I mean, um, we don't have. Um, there are some teams that would come in and um, 
and in between periods and say, okay, this is what we got to do because the analytics are bad. I would, uh, I would think that the one thing that I could do was visualize if a player isn't playing well, I know he's not playing well. I don't know his, I don't know his numbers or anything. And I got to move him from that line to another line because the player on the other line is playing well. So, I mean, George McPhee would always tell me that that was my best trait, knowing when to move players, when to not move players and, 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 and do that sort of thing. So, I mean, um, uh, but after the game, you read all the analytics and, and, and you compile the data. And then over time you say, okay, for example, Kevin Fiala would, would, give the puck up at the blue line almost five times a game. Like, I mean, just drive you nuts uh, doing it. And I mean, so you, you get all this data and you show them. And then again, it's visually, he can, instead of saying, Hey, you're turning the puck over, get it deep. And he would look at it and say, wow, 25 times in the last five games, I've, I've given the puck up at the blue line and I've been minus six in those times. He can see that he can visualize that. And uh, I think that's when it sinks in. Well, that's that's sort of conflicting. And uh, I mean, you're clearly not a guy who buys in 100 percent. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Debbie, but you don't seem like a guy who buys in 100 percent to analytics. And well, yet, I, go, go ahead. ahead. No, well, I, no. Tr I trust my I trust me watching the game. And well, that's it. yeah. And the other thing too, Bob, we've known each other for a thousand years and the one thing that everybody's always told me is statistically, I know all the stats of everybody sure doing do. everything. So, I mean, that's what I do anyway. So analytics is just more stats. Like, I mean, so I do buy into it, but I buy into me seeing something more, you know, I mean, it's like, if you look at, at an NHL game after they'll say um, takeaways and giveaways and, but uh, you might think your team played horrible, but they'll only have two giveaways. That drives me nuts because, I mean, I don't know what those stats people really do sometimes. So I have to go back and look at it, and then I know I'm, I'm right when I say, hey, we had a lot more giveaways than two, and, uh, and, you, and you sort of decipher it that way. But, I mean, if there's, if there's an, uh, an analytic stat that I'm not agreeing with, I will definitely go back on video and see who's right. The, the, the interesting thing for me with analytics is, is context. Like how mm -hmm. do you compare them? And the other thing is definition. Mm -hmm. Cause I, don't, don't different ana analytics department have different definitions of things. Oh, everybody does. It's like an umpire having a different strike zone. Yeah. Don't you think? Like, I mean, yeah. everybody's different. And uh, what they might think is, um, uh, is, is a turnover. Um, you would think, no, it was a, you know, it might have been something else or like a bad pass. Like Roger Nielsen was the best. He would have five categories for turnovers. And uh, and he would sit there and say, we need to do 20 turnovers or less in a game, which I see 20 turn turnovers in 10 minutes in a game now. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe because it's sp speed, but I mean, he'd have bad pass, bad clear, um, stick handling, outfought. And there was another one in there and he would mark them down. And the next day he did his own analytics and you'd see them as soon as you walked in the in the dressing room. Um, and I just don't know if they're that uh, now they just bu bundle them up into uh, one category and that's just turnovers. Well, when, when Nielsen was coaching and you were playing, we're this is really before i mean the, the term analytics i don't even think existed at that no. point no not in any sport no. no i mean it was the same thing essentially but it really the, the terminology didn't exist and the obsessiveness about it did not exist mm -hmm. did you roll your 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 eyes at at roger and say you know oh, what are you I, talking about i would get mad at roger and i would make him show me because i mean i did you know like it, there was some you can remember and i'd say what do you mean? I got out fought three times and then I'd want to see it. And he'd go, well, Bruce, I got to show you. And I'd say, okay, because I was pretty defiant back then. Bruce, you sound like you were a 20 year old Y guy. I was, I was <laughs> because I wanted, I wanted Roger's acceptance so bad and I wanted to do well for him so bad that I just, I, when like, I'm not good at when you, uh, tell me I did something wrong unless I know I did. So yeah, I passed that one. That was a bad pass, 
But I mean, if the numbers were way out there, I'd say, wow, was I that bad? You know? So, so would, would he have been uh, the number one influence as you as a coach? And if there was somebody else, is, is there somebody else that jumps out? Yeah. Well, I mean, I took the, I think the best parts of a lot of people. I mean, George Armstrong was the epitome of a, a, a coach's, uh, a player's coach where we would sit, if we lost a game, we were more worried that we bothered, we upset George. And I wanted to take that part of it. And Roger was the, he had everything down. Um, Andy Murray was the same thing. Like, I mean, they were so detailed and organized. I mean, I'm not that detailed and organized, but I try to be a little bit like that. I mean, um, so there's every, a lot of coaches did some really crazy things. And I said, I'll never do that in my life. And so, I mean, they influenced me both good and bad. How much does a general manager influence you as a coach? Well, I mean, they got the power, right? I mean, well, they uh, do. That's the I mean, if, if, uh, a, if a general manager came down to me and said, listen, I don't want this guy playing in this situation uh, or on this line and, or I want him to sit out the next game. He's my boss. I would listen to him. I would, um, I would, you know, uh, I would argue with him and give my point. But in the end, if he was obstinate about it, then uh, uh, I would do what he said. Like there was one, one game in Minnesota and he said, I want this player on the fourth line. And he was a first line guy. And I said, uh, okay, we were winning at the time. And I said, uh, can I edge him in? Like, I mean, um, have a couple shifts and the first time he does something bad, then pull him out. And he said, no, I want this guy on the fourth line from the very start. And it's really tough when you do that because the player will want to know why he's on the fourth line. And we can't as coaches say, Hey, the GM told me to do that. And we've got it. We've got to take the blame. Like for, here's a perfect example. Bob Murray came up to me in, um, in a playoff game against Dallas. And he said, I don't want Solani to play Solani's Solani's he's ruining the team. You know, you're losing the room if he plays. And he says, you can't, it's only going to hurt you if you play him. So what are you going to do? Right. So um, I didn't play Solani. And uh, after practice, I told him that he wasn't playing. And obviously as good a great a player as he's been, he wasn't very happy with me. And uh, so then they went and asked Bob, uh, hey, do you agree with uh, Boudreaux's assessment that Solani shouldn't play? And, and Bob says, well, he's the coach. He makes the decisions. So, I mean, threw me right under the bus, right? And, and I couldn't tell Timu until years later, quite frankly, that what happened. And because he kept it as a grudge against me and didn't like me from that moment on. And until I... Uh, I think Ryan Getzlaff told him after Timu um, uh, retired what had happened. And Timu came up to me the first time I saw him after that, gave me a hug and said, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize. So. Great story. The, it, it, the interesting thing is, is that uh, there's, you have coached teams that have superstars on them all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, everybody talked about your relationship with Alex. Uh-huh. Uh, and and how you manage that is is there a technique to managing superstars regularly the versus the regular Bruce Boudreau guys with all due respect you know what I think it's uh, it's communication um is the biggest the biggest form right there is I talk to Alex all the time um we talked a lot of times not about hockey but I mean I had to gain his trust and I think I did for the first four years, gained his trust. And uh, um, so when he made a mistake, like, for example, if we were doing video and I, he was the one that was screwing up, I would come to him beforehand. I said, Alex, listen, I got to show you screwing up on the video. So just understand that, you know, that I have to do it because you're the captain. If I don't show you doing it, then, um, you know, everybody won't respect what we're doing. And so he would... He would understand and he'd see it and he'd try to go correct it in practice. Um, but I mean, I think with all of those players, I would do the same thing with, with Getzlaff and Perry. I mean, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, Mike Green, uh, I would 
bring him aside and you have to handle him a little bit differently and it would tell him the same scenario all the time. Um, and then the same as I would tell Alex, for example, and even um, Ole Kolsig, when we got Cristobal Huey in that for very first year, mm -hmm. I said, I said, we got 12 games, Ole. We got this guy. You guys are going to play equal amounts every second game. And the best guy in the last six games is going to take over. And he agreed with it. And I, unfortunately, it wasn't him. But Huey played great, and we won the last six games to make you know to make the playoffs for the first time in eight years, I think. So I mean, um, it's the way you handle it and the way you talk to the players, and you have to be ready to talk to them all the time. Um, and and I told my son, who's coaching Fort Wayne, I was there last weekend. I said, I said Ben, in the end, there's a lot of things you don't want to do. You've got to think of what's best for the team. And that's the end, the end decision. You know, I mean, what's best for the team is what you've got to think of, even though it hurts you, it hurts maybe a player or two. If it's better for the team, you got to do that. Ben coach like you. I think he does. As a matter of fact, I think he does. Um, uh, he is a very, very good communicator. He has all the players uh, uh, will come into his room. Uh, like, I mean, it, even when I'm there and, and they'll say, I got to ask you a question, got to ask you a question. And Ben is great with them. I mean, uh, uh, I really believe, especially after seeing, like he won the championship last year, but after seeing the, the games this weekend, uh, I came away and I phoned my wife right away. I said, you know what? Ben's going to make it. He's really good at what he does. So I really believe he's going to do it. I'm intrigued by, you know, critical analysis. You've talked about one-on-one -on -one meetings and you've talked about group meetings, you know, the, with the reference to Ovechkin and talking to him before you're obviously going to point out something in a, in a group meeting. Are you inclined to do one more than the other? I, I think the situation dictates it quite frankly. Um, and the personnel dictate it. Uh, I mean, in Anaheim, uh, I, Ryan Getzlaff would come into my office almost on a semi-daily day. And we'd sit and we'd talk because he's my captain. I wanted to have that relationship with the captain that if he's got to control the room, I mean, I wanted to let him know some things that were going on. And he was very good about it. Like there was time, there would be times when after a period, when we were horrible, when he'd say, Bruce, don't come in the room. I'll take care of it. Okay. And mm -hmm. I'd, I'd say, great. There would be other times he'd, he'd sit there and he says, you're going to do that. You got to scream at us. I can't do it because I'm playing horrible too. If, uh, if I go in there and say, guys, pick it up, and they look at me and say, well, you're hor horrible as well, they won't have the respect for that. So, I mean, it, the communication of, of knowing where you stand with these guys and knowing what they're, uh, what, what kind of, um, just what kind of reaction you're going to get to them is so important. Is there a, um, was there a captain that you had that was would be your favorite was the be, that you thought was the best captain and i'm using that yeah, yeah, terminology yeah. like you know whatever you think a captain should do this guy did it better than anybody else um well again i think i think in that regard i think getzlaff was the best one miko was would uh too quiet he would only uh do it with his his examples on the ice and ovi was too young like, I mean, to, to do that, he was still a fun loving guy that, that was the leader by example on the ice. So Mike Knubel, I would call in and, and he was very good at this and uh, at controlling the room. He was 37 and he sort of took that, the off ice captaincy in, into play. I mean, I've, I've played with uh, a lot of captains that I thought were really good. Um, I mean, I thought, uh, you know, I mean, uh, just Daryl was really good. I mean, he was, huh? I think he was, but I mean, I think when, when Daryl was with Roger, he had Roger would uh, lean on him too much. And so uh, Daryl thought he had too much power, mm -hmm. but I mean, uh, uh, for like, I mean, uh, one of the stories that a great captain does is what uh, Daryl did one time. He said, I got called up. I was scoring at a pretty good rate for a guy that called up and practice would end. And I would step on maybe a minute before practice. And then as soon as practice was over, I got off the ice. He came tearing after me one day in the hall, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, 
I'm the best player on this team. I'm the captain. I'm the first one on, the last one off. You're never going to make it, kid, if you're off the ice right away. And I thought, that what a what a great, I mean, years later. I didn't like it at the time. Right. But years later, I, I kept thinking back on that. And that was a pretty tremendous thing that he did for me. It's interesting. Do you think uh, none of these guys need to stay in the game? They make so much money now. Mm-hmm. But could you ever see Ryan coaching? Gets laugh. You're yeah. talking about? Yeah. I can see him being the GM. <laughs> they all uh, want to be the GM. <laughs> I don't think they I don't think they're gonna they're gonna coach. I mean, Ryan Suter said, I'd never wanted your job, but I'll be the GM when I'm done. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, they, they these guys do have so much money and they can have so much power in their life that uh, they don't want to be told <laughs> what to do by somebody else all the time. Well, you want to be a GM? Me? Yeah. You know what? If it was uh, all about just controlling the players, there's so many things the GM has to do. Well, of but course. I, I, w- I would just, I would love to be able to be the guy that put my team together and just controlled the team. Like, I mean, you do in the lesser leagues, in the East Coast League, the coach does all of that. And that mm-hmm. was a great, uh, that was a great feeling. Uh, even in the American League, your bosses aren't there all the time. So you're you're the big guy in charge. But in the NHL, you're, uh, the GM is, um, he's got just, you know, he's got the scouting departments. He's got everything else going on. I don't want to do the business end of it. I just love the hockey end of it. You know, that, you remind me of uh, when, when Scotty um, uh, stopped coaching uh, and ended up being Craig Patrick's uh, player personnel guy in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still around the game, still analyzing and managing players and, and draft, uh, not worrying about the business side. Um, and now he eventually got back to coaching, but uh, the fact that he just wanted to be in the game and evaluate players was so important to him. That sounds like something you'd enjoy. Yeah, that sounds like it's interesting because you still got a team. You're still you're still battling with your group here. You know, I mean, you care. Uh, the highs and the lows of winning and losing are still there, um, which is which is great. I mean, uh, uh, that's a little bit what he was doing in um, in Chicago. Right. Like he was an advisor. And uh, I think you even at, at you know, at the at Scotty's age uh, at the end that that's still great because that's you're putting your mark on the team uh, if you can. So that's fun. Yeah. Uh, Well, um, we got to go because time is our enemy and you got things to do too. Um, It would be intriguing to see you as a general manager. And I wonder (laughs) how long you would, your, your head coach would last before you wanted to do both <laughs> knowing you. Yeah. You know what? That's a, that's a good point, Bob. I got to tell you. <laughs> and I'm not sure you can, I'm not sure you can do that anymore in this league. No, I don't, no, think, I, don't I, think you I, can. I don't think there would be a head coach that would really want me as a GM being in his office every day going, uh, what did you do this for? Why are you playing him? Oh. Uh, uh, you look great. Um, we, uh, you know, you know, we root for you all the time. We miss you. It's been a while since we played golf, huh? We it's gotta... been too long. I mean, this pandemic is killing me. Um, but uh, hopefully, we'll hopefully, this summer is is something that uh, works out really well for everybody. Yep. Let's plan on it. All right. I, I would love to. Mm. Uh, Gabby, we love you. You know that. We wish you the best, and uh, we thank you as always for taking a few minutes for us. We'll uh, we'll knock on your door somewhere down the road again. Thanks. Well, Bob. I hope so because I miss talking to you guys. It's uh, it's always fun. All Bruce right. Boudreaux, we'll come back and wrap it after these messages. So, our thanks to Gabby for uh, being with us as always. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's not only is it fun, but uh, I, I mean I, that conversation didn't exactly go the way I thought it would. Why? Well, what, what did you expect? Well. I mean, I know that it's going to be that Gabby's going to talk. That's why they call him Gabby. Uh, but I'm never exactly sure uh, what he's going to say. He 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 did let his guard down a little bit uh, today on a few yeah. things, and we we greatly appreciate that. And I hope, well, I hope the audience understands that. And and there's always a couple of good anecdotes that you have never heard before. You know, it's we're not we're not looking for news, but when you can when you can be in the business as long as Bruce has been in and still have a couple stories that like the Bob Murray story about Solani. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's a great listen. It really is a great listen. But Bruce's issue, I, I, you know, 
And, and I do believe that guys like Daryl Sutter have, have created an opportunity for guys like Bruce. I hope. But, but Bruce, Bruce would scare people because he's so bloody honest and so truthful. And, and I mean, we saw that today. He's, he's transparent. He's when transparent. They did, when they did that series that um, I can't even remember what it was called. Uh, the, oh, the for TV. HBO. Yeah. 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 Uh, and there was all that video of Bruce with his profanity laden speeches in the, in the locker rooms. Yeah. You think that hurt him? No. I mean, he got jobs you know, in Anaheim and Minnesota after that. Well, I know, but in fact, there's still that the, the, recollection. I think, I think Bruce is, I think Bruce holds the record for being dismissed in Washington and hired in Anaheim. I think it was less than 48 hours. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I don't think that because, because Bruce has the ability to motivate players and he understands the game. Uh, at a level that players appreciate. I really think that. Refresh my memory. Was, was McFeed still the GM when, when Bruce got fired? Do you remember? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, I, when, as a memory serves. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was. We'll, we'll bring that up with McPhee next time we talk to him. Uh, or did they both get fired at the same time? Once you no, 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 up. no, no, no. I, I got to figure that one out. I got to look, I gotta, look I that one up and we'll report back tomorrow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, doctor. Well, I just, it's intriguing because obviously Boudreaux has some soft spot for, um, for McPhee and, oh, uh, yeah. or respect for him. Hey, listen, Bob, if you're in the business 50 years, you don't, you can't hold grudges. You can't. No, it's, it's a small neighborhood. You can't hold grudges. If you, no, but if I, you, I think particularly I, if you want to continue to work. I think he liked George, and I think he liked working with George. Mm -hmm. To be very honest with you, how would you In not any about, like? How would you not, not not like working with George? Well, that's my point. And and how would you not like working with uh, with Gabby? You know, he's he's got a few opinions, but um, he's just such a a likable guy. In any event, uh, we'll find somebody else to uh, bother. Hey, Stephen Matt signed. Hey, you see that St. Louis? Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that. We don't have time today, but let's talk about that a bit tomorrow too. Cause I'm, I got a few questions. About are you, are you a little miffed? We got to go. I'll tell you tomorrow. Stay tuned everybody for John Shannon, Bob McCallum. We got to go. Goodbye. <laughs>